0: this message today this is very important I've never really taught this this way before this is kind of a first for me but I was I was praying last night and I said Lord there's so many things that you've been a lot of stuff I can't share till we see them in person about what's happened on the fast and different things I said but Lord I'm kind of in in a holding pattern waiting for them to come in person and you told me to 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 do uh uh that that two three parts on the body of Christ and our dominion and our authority and and I said and I know there's reasons why I haven't shared all of them but there's reasons why God wanted that preached and and I hope you've been paying attention and I said Lord there's so many things that you said to me at at Holy Ghost meetings there's so m- that I can preach it's not stuff that is division that I have to wait I said there's so much I can I can pick one of a dozen and one things that are that are stirring in my heart right now but I don't just want to pick something if there's it, just show me show me what you want and I really thought he'd he'd pick from one of those things that have been bubbling. For the last month or so, honey, and he gave me something totally new. And uh, so we'll have to get to the other things another time. But he downloaded this to me supernaturally because I, I've never really put these two verses together. And he said, Turn to Hebrews 4, and then he said, Turn to Matthew 11. And he said, They work together, and I want you to teach people. And, and then I was thinking this morning, Well, that's really got nothing to do with, with Valentine's Day. And then I thought, Well, it kind of does have something to do. Kind of, I'm calling this matters of the heart. You ever, you know, people said the matters of the heart. You know, they're talking talking about love and romance and relationships. Well, this is not about love, romance and relationships. So I'm kind of a play on words here, but it is, uh, this is Valentine's day. So we're going to talk about matters of the heart, but really the heart, uh, your your romantic relationship with Jesus, if I could put it that way, your love relationship with Jesus is a matter of the heart and Jesus wants you to have so much. Now I'm going to just, Can I just be honest with you, when I've never preached something before and I've never delivered it, uh, I don't know how it's going to come out. When I preach something before, I I, I polish it and I, you know, and it, it comes out a certain way. And then as I preach it more often, it becomes, I get more skillful in its delivery. But when it's a brand new message and I've never really delivered something like this before, what I normally try to do is just share I don't put pressure on me to try to make it perfect. So I probably am going to go bounce around a little bit and maybe go back and forth. And it might not be the most seamless delivery, but just live with it. Praise God. Because uh, I, I'm learning too. I've been preaching. This is my 30th year. So I'm not, I'm not new at it, but even even. I'm st- we're all still new at it to some measure, and I'm still learning. So maybe the second time I preach, I said, will come out more, more um, orderly. But I'm probably going to bounce a little bit today, like Tigger. Remember Tigger? I'm probably going to bounce a little bit, but that's okay. Praise God. I think you, if you open your heart, you'll catch something. And I, that's what I'm, I just want you to catch some nuggets. I can't get all of it out today, so I'm going to do part two next Sunday. But matters of the heart, I want you to look with me here. And uh, I, I, I've, I've, asked, I've left my main Bible at home. And, and I, this is the kind of message that I kind of need to have a physical Bible for because I, I, I need to be able to flip quickly. So Matthew chapter 11, if you would please. Matthew, wow, there's such an anointing on this Bible. I think I'll probably preach better. Must be Reverend Taylor's Bible. Oh my God, it is Reverend Taylor's Bible. Uh, (laughs) Praise God. Matthew chapter 11, and um, this is, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. I want you to read this with me. This is a famous verse, but Father, open their hearts. Thank you that they open their own hearts, and I thank you for revelation to flow right upon their hearts, Holy Ghost, supernatural, rhema. That faith would come, let me speak skillfully. Thank you for your anointing to help me to speak, preach it, and for them to listen to it, understand it, and apply it. We'll give you all the glory, and I lean upon that and rely on it fully, that precious anointing, in Jesus' name. Matthew 11, 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Dr. Dufresne would say something frequently, say it's light and easy. He got that from Matthew eleven thirty. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is something that is put on an animal as it works. Are you understanding? Because all of us, even when we're in the perfect will of God, still have to exert effort. Like I said in the offering, there is still work involved, even when you're in the perfect will of God, and, and, and you're, there's still a measure of work. That's why he didn't say, my vacation is easy. He said, my yoke. He wants us to know that there is stuff to do. There's stuff that we have to do. There's effort that has to be made. It's not about a lazy life or just a vacation all the time. The Christian walk does include work, a yoke, that animal that yokes it. What is he saying? You be yoked with me. Amen. Don't be yoked with something else. But yoke implies working. Yoke implies effort. Yoke implies a, a function that you're doing. In other words, the Christian walk isn't just lying around. There is a yoke. But he, what he's saying is my yoke. Take my yoke upon you, yeah. for my yoke is light and easy. Now, what is he really saying? My flow. Right. My flow, the way I do things, is light and easy. Amen. Now, the way you do things, and, I, and this applies to many of you, so listen up. The way you do things is in verse 28. Labor and heavy laden. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Labor, that, that effort, but it's, a, it's not just effort. There's an effort that's light and easy, but there's an effort that's grievous. There's an effort that's hard. There's an effort that's discouraging and depressing. And that's the labor and heavy laden. That means pressure. When you put too much pressure on that donkey or that horse, it's too much pressure. They can't handle it. Do you understand? There is a heavy laden pressure and there is a grievous toil of work. And what Jesus is trying to say, if you would open your hearts and listen to him this morning, he's trying to say, if you're my child, many of you have this heaviness in your life, this labor, this, this burden of, of grievous work, whether it's your job, whether it's your marriage, you know, you can have a grievous labor in marriage because it's not sweet, light and easy. You can have grievous labor, a heavy burden pressure on you. See, labor is that, is that grievous work and heavy laden is that pressure. So you can have that hardness of work and that pressure on you with raising children. You can have that with your job. You can have that with your health. You can have that with your thought life. You can have that with addictions. You can have that in a lot of areas. It's not just one area. It's not just your job. There is a attitude of a heavy, burdensome work and a lot of pressure on people today, especially during COVID, but all the time it applies. And Jesus is saying, that's the carnal way. That's the world's way. Let the world be heavy laden because their father is a taskmaster and that's their only portion. They don't have an option for light and easy. Let them have that, but not you. If you're my people, you that are laboring and heavy laden, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. And I will give you rest. Not I might, not I may. If I'm in a good mood, it's a guarantee you'll get rest. Now that word rest, you got to pay attention to because this is the connector word. Uh, Underline it, highlight it, or just stare at it or something. Burn it in your memory. The word rest, I want you to pay attention to. He's saying that there is rest. The word rest is opposite to the word heavy laden and burdensome. Labor and heavy laden is opposite to rest. Come unto me if you're like this, because I'm going to give you the opposite rest. Wow. Now take my flow on you. Take my yoke on you. It's still effort, but it's still a yoke that represents work, but it's going to be not that kind of heavy toil. It's going to be different. Take my flow. Now learn of me for I'm meek and lowly heart, and you will find rest. I just said, I'll give you rest. Now he's saying you're going to have the rest. For my flow is easy and light. Yeah. Amen. I'm telling you, honey. Now, this word rest. Oh, Jesus. This word rest is a very important word. Go over to Hebrews chapter four. Go over to Hebrews chapter four. I'm going to read you a little bit. Like I told you, I'm bouncing a little bit uh, because I, I have to figure out exactly how we're going to do this in the future if I ever preach it again. But, uh, but it's because it's, it's kind of complex, but it's simple. But at the same time, it's a bit complex. So I'm going to read you Hebrews 4, but I'm going to read it to you from the New Living because the King James is a little bit harder to understand. But some of the phrasing in the King James, I'm going to come back to later because some of the phrasing is perfect, right. but some of the, the whole flow of the whole chapter is hard to understand. So the New Living Is an easier overall but the phraseology in certain verses in the King James is better It's more accurate to the Hebrew to the to the Greek. Excuse me So let me read this to you from the new living and I want you to look for now this word rest Because this word rest is really it doesn't just mean having a nap It doesn't just mean having a good sleep at night. This word rest is a totally different kind of a word This word rest means the promised land This word rest means healing It means prosperity it means joy. It means everything in the land of promise All the covenant promises of God are summed up in the word rest When you come into rest you come into what God has for you if you're sick and you come into rest you come into healing If you're stressed and you come into rest you come into peace Are you understanding me that word rest is the light and easy flow In every category of your life if your marriage is bitter rest brings you into a good marriage And Jesus is talking about this word rest. And now whoever wrote Hebrews, probably Paul, is talking about this word rest. And he talks about it quite a bit through this chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to start with me. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Christians today, New Testament, going to fail to experience rest, the light and easy flow. Do you understand For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them Now He's talking about the Israelites, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God Caleb and Joshua listened to God, but they didn't they didn't share the faith of those that were listening They didn't act in faith themselves Or come in union with the faith of those that were listening and so even though god had promised them rest called the promised land They couldn't enter in Okay, are you are you are you following me? Now let me I want to read just that one verse from the amplified classic because it gives a little bit more detail for in verse 2 For indeed we have had the glad tidings the gospel of god Proclaimed to us just as truly as they the israelites of old did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith It was not mixed with the leaning of the entire personality on god and absolute trust and confidence in his power wisdom and goodness Okay, so that whole brackets there let me cut that out so it's easier to. because it was not mixed with faith They didn't trust god by those who heard it Neither were they united in faith with the ones joshua and caleb who did hear it and did believe So This this writer Paul is talking about just like the gospel has come to us and a promise for the light and easy flow, the good life. What does Ephesians 2.10 say? That he's made paths ahead of time for us to walk in them, living the good life which God prearranged and made ready for us to live, the good life. That's the amplified, I believe, of Ephesians 2.10. Now, this easy flow, light and easy flow, this good life, this rest, it all means the same thing. The gospel has come to us for us to have it. Just like the gospel came to those people that came out of bondage and they came out and God said I'm gonna take you It was a very short ten-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. I'm gonna take you there But because they heard that word, but faith did not come into their hearts about that word See the word has the power to produce faith, but it doesn't always produce faith and so they heard the promise that they even saw the fruit. They were carrying grapes between two men. They heard the promise. They'd seen God's power and the plagues, the 10 plagues of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea. I mean, come on. What's wrong with these people? We believe God when a headache is healed, for goodness sakes. They see a sea part and they still can't believe him. They see fire at night and cloud by day. And they're still acting like a bunch of idiots. It's astonishing to me how stubborn they were, how hard-hearted they were. But God told them, I got this rest for you. You've had 400 years of hardship. I want you to enter into a land. <laughs> and the giants have already made big houses for you. And they got big beds for you. And they got big crops for you to till. And it's all done in advance. All you do is take over. Just, just trust me. Just, just trust me. Haven't I proven myself that I can beat the greatest army on the planet, which was Pharaoh? Now, now who are these little Canaanites? Yes, they're giants, but they're still not as powerful militarily as Egypt. Haven't I proved to you about Egypt? Won't you just trust me? Won't you just trust me? I've got rest for you. I've got rest for you. And they would not mix What God said, they wouldn't let it produce faith. They wouldn't put action mixed with what God said. God said, I've got this. Instead of believing and then saying, yes, we believe you. Yes, we'll do it. That's faith. Instead of mixing that action of faith with what God promised in his word, the promise of the new land, instead of doing that and entering in, what did they say? I don't have time to read it, but you can read it in Numbers 13. Well, we can't go. We can't do it. We're grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. And some Christians today are just like those Israelites. I can't do it. What's COVID? I've got to wear a mask. Shut up. Where's the spirit of faith of Joshua and Caleb. Does Jesus look at you and say, my God, they've got a different spirit? Or does Jesus look at you and say, they're just like, the, just like all the people out there that are panicking? Yeah. I want to have a different spirit with God. I want God to see me as a Caleb Jenny. I don't, want him to see, I don't want to be rebellious. I wear the stupid mask when I go in the store, but I don't wear the mask because I believe in the mask. Right. Amen. You see, we've got to have a different spirit about us. He offered them. I've got something for you. I've got an entering into rest. You've just had a hard life. Your generations for 400 years have had a hard life. I love you. I want to I be good to you. No, I just, I just beat down Pharaoh. I beat him down. And I proved to you I can beat the greatest military on the planet. They were the greatest military at that time in the world, if you study history. I, I swallowed them in the Red Sea. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. Miriam sang a song with the timbrels. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. Now, guys, I got, a, I got a plan for you. I got, a, I got a vacation for you for the rest of your life. It's going to, you're going to have to work a little bit. It's not just like you sit in a hammock, but I got a good land. I got grapes the size of oranges. Come on, enter in. And what did they do? God hates that. They had the opportunity to mix what God's promise said and let it produce faith so that they would then ask in faith on what he said when you act in faith on what he said you are mixing the action of mixing faith with his word his word is what he promised when you act on it you're mixing faith with what he promised and he will bring you in but they refused to do it and they stayed out 40 years wandering then they died buried in the, buried in the wilderness over a million people well well over a million people buried in the dust mm. Did you you see that? Now, I told you I'm bouncing a bit, but that's okay. Let me keep going. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us in the New Testament, just as it was announced to them, the Israelites, but it did them no good, didn't benefit them, they didn't profit them, because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Now, there's something in my margin in the New Living, and it says they didn't combine what they heard with faith, and they didn't share the faith of Joshua and Caleb. Which would have been the combination the mixing of it for only we who believe can enter into his rest Only people that have faith can enter into his rest as for the others God said these others is right. God said and he's quoting the verse that he's quoting here is psalm 95:11. For, for your notes Psalm 95:11. he's quoting the old testament God said in my wrath. I took an oath. God said these these people that are whining They will never enter into my rest He made an oath That's why they had to die in the wilderness because he gave them the chance, Jenny, and they whined. They would not believe him. You better listen because this is about you. Jesus offers you something and it's up to you if you want to take it. And if you don't, if you don't, he's merciful, but you will live and die your whole life in your difficulty. Just like they lived and died their whole life in their difficulty in their wilderness. And you will you will watch others, unlike them, the whole thing. It was a whole physical, so it was a whole group that had and then and the whole group came in. But with us, you can have one person in the congregation in the wilderness, yeah. you can have another person yeah. in the congregation in the promised land. Oh, now we're all born again going to heaven, but you can have one entering into the light and easy oh, flow yeah, yeah. and seeing the blessing of God and seeing God just do things and favor and they don't even deserve it. They don't even have the education for it, but God just yeah, does right, stuff for that's them. Right. And then you've got the others that just, they're, oh, so hardy. it's so precious, so much pressure I mean, See, they're heavy laden. Yes. And they haven't entered into Jesus' light and easy flow. And everybody can. But it says now, it says, uh, verse 1, God's promise of entering this rest or his light and easy flow, this promise, and still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you in the local church may fail to experience it. So there's people that won't get it. They'll live their whole life, Taylor, burdened. How many counseling appointments do I have? Not all, but many with people that are burdened, people that are under pressure, people that are toiling, people that are laboring. Life is hard. And I look at some of them and I go, if you just would shut your big mouth, if you just change what you're saying and change what you're believing and change what you're watching and get into his, he's offered you rest and you are failing to experience it because you won't believe it. And it's so frustrating, Jenny. As a pastor, I so desperately want them to get it. And I know that I know that people say things and they confess things because they're hurting, because they're going through something, so it kind of just comes out. And I'm not trying to be the confession police or legalistic, but what I'm trying to teach you is that you've got to believe God in faith if you're going to enter in. And those people in Israel, what kept them out, Jenny? It wasn't that they weren't good people. Some of them, I'm sure, were nice people. They were kind people. But what they said, we can't do this. This won't work for me. Don't you know I'm white trash? Don't you know I got no education? Don't you know I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks? Don't you know my mama said I'd never amount to nothing? Don't you know it can't work for me? You see, people believing what they're saying, and they're not agreeing with what God said, and they'll never enter into that good life. Some people fail to experience it. Now watch, for only, for only we who believe, if you have faith, you'll enter in. If you don't, you won't. As for the others that didn't believe, God said in my anger, I took, I took an oath. I, they will never enter into my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since the, he made the world. Now it says before the foundation of the world, he made a place for us to rest. Like guys, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm not getting it out maybe fully, but I'm trying my best here and I can feel the anointing on me. It's just coming out in bits and pieces. Okay. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. He designed you. He made you to rest. He made you to be at peace. He made you to enjoy your job. He did not he did not wire you to be under pressure all the time you're not wired as a human to handle stress all the time that's why your body shuts down and you get diseases he does not want us to be under this yoke this heavy heavy burden pressure all the time he wants us to trust him and obey him and say what he says and enter into a light and easy flow his yoke his rest, his promised land. It is for us and some will not experience it because they will harden their hearts and refuse to believe him. But not my congregation. Oh, no, not my congregation. No, my congregation's different. My congregation softens their hearts to listen to God. Amen. We know... It's already been made, Jenny, this place of rest before the world began. He's got, every, he's got a place of rest for every, all these people we see, all these pictures on all the chairs, every one of them, every one of them. There's Desmond over there. There's Yolanda over there. Every one of them, there's Vida. Every one of them, there's, there's Jose and Tanya. Every one of them, God, before they were ever born, made a place, a plan for their life that they would have the good life, the nice and easy flow. That doesn't mean there's no tests and trials because there are, and it tries our faith, but God wants you to live even with the tests and trials in a place of peace and rest he's already prepared it for you before the foundation of the world verse 3 says now verse 4 we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day on the seventh day God rested from all his work but in another passage God says they will never enter my place of rest so God's rest is there for people to enter but those who first heard this good news the Israelites failed to enter because they disobeyed God disobedience is is a lack of belief So god set another time for entering his rest and that time is today God announced this through david much later in the words already quoted today when you hear his voice don't harden your hearts Now if joshua had succeeded in giving them rest god would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. That's us in the New Testament. There is a place of special rest still waiting for the people of God today. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, from their heavy toil, from that pressure, just as God did after he created the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel through unbelief, we will fall. Look at that. <laughs> wow. My, 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 Look at that. my, 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 So I'm calling this matters of the heart. Go back with me, if you would, please to the book of Matthew chapter 11, because I want to bring some thoughts out to you. Praise God. Ooh, my Lord. God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The rest is the good life the rest is the good life. It's all the promises of God. Now, I just want to add here, because I'm looking at some of my notes, and I don't want to miss anything. I wrote down here uh, in in Hebrews 4, 9, so I'm just going to read that one again, Hebrews 4, 9, and it says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God today. And the, the, the King James says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. I want you to know there is a place for you called rest. Yes, that's right. There is. The Bible says it. I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. I'm not coming up with it new. In other words, the Bible said it. I'm just repeating it. There is a place of rest. God wants you to know, first of all, because some people think maybe I don't deserve that place of rest. No, there is a place of rest for you. And we know that that's that good life. That's that light and easy flow that Ephesians 2.10 and Matthew 11.30 talks about. And if you notice there in verse 10, that those that have entered into that rest have ceased from that heavy yoke of burden and that pressure. What Jesus said in Matthew 11.28, that you burden some yoke. Those that have entered into have, have, have not, they've, they've, they've left, they've ceased from that heavy load. Do you, are, you, are you following me? There's someone where I need people to say amen because uh, I just need you to say amen. So Taylor, try it for size. Amen. amen. Praise God. Praise God. That was a good one. Try it one more time. Amen. Glory to God. I, I, I'm feeling the anointing. Amen. So, uh, g- listen, God wants so badly for us to enter into this place of rest. Yes, He's prepared it. Oh, yeah. There is a place. There is, my brother and sister, there is a place for you. you it may seem elusive to you today, but if you'll just get into the spirit and trust God and listen to him and obey him and and do what he tells you to do and trust him, he will lead you into a place of rest. He wants us in that place of rest. He really does. And I want you to notice that he wants us so badly to enter that in verse 11, I want you to see in the King James what he says, let us labor therefore. Labor. I thought you were talking about rest. Why are you talking about labor? Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same manner, example of unbelief. In other words, they didn't believe, they didn't enter into the rest, but let us labor. Now, uh, and the, the, the New Living says, let us try our best. Right. Work hard to enter into. So there's actually effort that has to be exerted to enter into that rest. Now, that word labor, if you study it in the original language, the Greek language, it literally means to hurry. It means speed. I thought it meant like just hard work but it actually means speed it means quickness it means hurry so literally this is other words that it means it means to hurry it means to use speed it means to make an effort promptly earnestly diligently eagerly and hastily it means to not delay but with quick and great effort to do whatever it takes to enter into that rest in other words God is saying there is a place of rest for you and I don't want you to procrastinate on this I want you to move as fast as you can to get into that place of rest. And it's going to take some effort. There's labor and you're going to to, and you have to go quickly at it. But I want you to do that. So now that I've set a stage for you, you know that Jesus said you're all burdened down. I I, got to play. I got rest for you. Now, now I'm going to if you do these things, I'm going to tell you you're going to find that rest. And God says there's been rest made for, for the foundation of the world. There's a special place of rest for you. But you've got to put some effort in to get into that place of rest. But you can, and some of you won't. Verse 1. Right. And the Israelites heard, but wouldn't believe, hardened their hearts, wouldn't take what God's promise was and act on it in faith, mixing their actions with God's word, mixing with, so it didn't profit them. They didn't benefit. And they didn't get in unity with the ones that were listening and believing, Joshua and Caleb. And so they didn't enter in the right way. But today for the children of God that have been received the gospel of Christ, there is a place of rest for you. And I want you to enter into that rest because the world system, you're not built to handle that kind of pressure. Your your marriages aren't built to handle that kind of pressure. There's got, you got to get in to this place. Okay, now I want you to understand Jesus is saying that to you today. He is telling me and you there's a place of rest. You have a right to enter it. Right. But it's going to take some effort to get there. Right. So now the big question is, what do you have to do in order to get into that place of rest? There is, there is principles here. Very, very, I hope you're listening. This is very important principles. Yeah. This is the key, whether you live out the plan of God in fullness or not. And it's all about your heart It's a matter of the heart yes, sir. I want you to look at Matthew 11 27, 28 to 930 One more time Come unto me All you that labor and a heavy laden And I will give you rest That's the rest that Hebrews 4 is talking about That's the promised land That's whatever it is that you need in your life Healing, help, whatever It's there, God has it for you It's prepared for you It's a light and easy flow Take my yoke upon you, my flow And learn of me from I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest, 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 rest unto your souls. Notice your spirit is, your spirit is not talking, talking about your spirit. Your spirit's fine. Your spirit isn't made in the image of God and is strong. But your mind, your emotions, your, your body, your soul realm, it needs to find a place of peace and rest. Jesus is saying, I want you to have it. For my yoke, my flow is easy and my burden is light. But he gives us and a major key here, Jenny. And people gloss over it and they just, they just read it and then it's gone and they don't really realize what it's saying. There are some keys that he gave you of how to enter into the rest or how to have the light and easy flow. And I want you to look at it. All the keys are listed in verse 29. The first key, and I'm telling you, God downloaded this to me supernaturally. I've never connected Matthew 11 with Hebrews 4 before. And he said, turn to Hebrews. And I read it. And then he said, turn to Matthew. And I read it. And he said, do you see rest is in both scriptures? I said, yes. And he said, do you see the principles of how to enter into rest is in both scriptures? I said, yes. He said, teach it to them. I said, okay, Lord. And and he showed me some principles. I've read the scripture, Taylor, 10,000 times. And I never saw this. Because Revelation, Jenny, is, is, it's, it's by the Holy Ghost. You can read a Logos for a hundred years and not see it, and then all of a sudden you see something. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I memorized this in 1991 when I was 15 years old on my first mission trip to Sweden, Germany, uh, Switzerland. We went there for two months with Teen Missions, a Baptist organization. They didn't believe in the Holy Ghost, so I couldn't pray in tongues. But anyway praise god and we had to memorize the verse every day and then they tested us if you if you got the test right you got extra dessert oh, wow. i got all the verses praise god oh, i was very skinny back then but still <laughs> and this was one of the verses this this is the whole all three verses so i i memorized this and even from today i still remember it because i memorized it when i was 15 years old but i i've, re, I've said this verse thousands of times and i've never seen this he showed this to me last night jenny amazing how the holy ghost works don't ever give up on a scripture because there's stuff in every scripture that you'll, you don't know yet. That's, right. it's, that's why the Bible is everlasting. It's eternal. In heaven, we'll get revelation we didn't even get on earth. Right. Yeah. It never ends. His word never fades. That's amazing. It's amazing to me. Lord. Take my yoke. To, okay, so this is what does he mean? Take my yoke, take my flow. What is the flow? He's telling us the flow of how to get into the light and easy rest. Now watch this. Are you ready for the first principle? Learn of me. Teachableness. People that are not teachable will never enter God's best. The Israelites looked at Joshua and Caleb and said, you can't talk to us. You can't talk to us. Who do you think you are? There was one man from each tribe, 12 spies, 12 tribes, right? And there was the chief of each tribe. It was big men, powerful men, important men, political men. They controlled, they ran, they helped run that tribe. I can just picture the other 10 tribes, they're all equal. Yeah. And they're looking at Joshua and Caleb and said, who do you think you are? I'm just as big as you. I run my tribe, you run your tribe. You can't talk to me that way. I don't, you, know, you, you. see, no, no teachableness. Right. No recognizing maybe we are equal politically, but maybe you know something I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe God's got something over to you that he hasn't got over to me, and maybe I should shut up and listen to you. Instead of keep arguing with you in front of the people, all those 10 people died of that. God struck them down and they died. All 10 of them. They had special judgment because they saw the land. The rest of the people didn't see it, they just saw a bit of the fruit. These people saw the land. They heard the message of Joshua and Caleb and they rebelled. The Bible says they rebelled. If you study, it, it said they rebelled against it. Unbelief is rebellion. Learning, I'm taking my time because I got next week, so I don't have to rush. Learning of somebody, teachableness is absolutely critical. Can I be honest with you? My least favorite person that comes to our church is a minister. When a minister shows up and tells me that they're a minister, my heart sinks. Because I know I've got the biggest uphill battle with them, I'd rather a drug dealer and pimp come into the church than a minister. And I mean it. I'm not exaggerating. I mean that with all my heart. I'd rather somebody come in who's a sex trafficker. I can work with them faster than I can a minister. Because they at least know they've got nothing. They know that they're darkened. They know that they're, they're a mess. And the word can just clean them up. But you've been a, a minister. I'm a minister. You know what it is? It's like those other 10 people. Well, who, who do you think you are? I'm a minister too. I don't, I, I, I mean, I listen to you preach. But I already know the Bible. I'm a minister. And there's that pride. And there's sometimes, now we have in our ordaining body some of the most amazing ministers with the most purest hearts around. But let me tell you, it took a long time to weed out the others. Many have come. (laughs) Since Patsy Caminetti prophesied it when Jesus walked into this building, remember? Jesus came into the building and and talked to her about our ministry. Patsy Caminetti, who was one of the closest human beings to Dad Hagen, what an honor. What an honor. That was an assignment from God because her ministry told me we've never seen this happen in all her years. She's booked up years in advance. She only comes from Australia a couple times a year and she only goes to churches that she really usually knows. And uh, I said, God told me she's to come on this date and the lady, her name is, uh, I forget her name, but anyway, Jenny. And, her, and, and, and she says, well, uh, Reverend Field, that, that, that's not, you don't know how this works, sir. That, that's just not gonna happen. I said, it's gonna happen because God told me. She says, uh, I, a lot of people tell me that. God didn't talk to any of them. So you're so sweet. God bless you. She's so sweet. You're so sweet, Reverend Phil. God bless you. But it's not going to happen. We never get cancellations. And if we do, it's not going to happen. And sure enough, there was a cancellation on the exact date that I asked. And God spoke to her and said, go to that church in Canada. And Michael Lakedick had been trying, knew her personally because he was a Rhema overseer. Knew her personally for years, trying to get her for years. She didn't come. And he called me and said, "Who the heck do you think you? What? What is wrong with you? How could you get her when I couldn't get her?" I said, "God told me she's coming, and He told me the date." So I just said, "Okay, sir, yeah. I'm not pulling these big strings." No. Not at all. She came. That was an assignment. Yes, well, there was a mandate from God for her to be here. And Jesus walked into this thing and talked to her about our ministry and about specifically the ministers that would come. Yeah. And since then, a whole ton of ministers have come. Some of them rats. Some of them not. When I say rats, none of them, they're not nice people, but their hearts are arrogant, proud, just like those 10 spies. Who do you think you are? You can't talk to me. I'm a minister. Don't you know I'm already ordained? I've been to Bible school. I've written a book. You know, I'm just here to kind of be here because God told me to be here. But I'm not really here to really learn because I'm out there preaching. I can't tell you how many have come, Jenny. Dozens since then. Come? I just, my heart sinks. Just give me a, a drug dealer, please. Because I know i got an uphill battle with them. Why? Because of spiritual pride. God can take the most rotten sinner who has a pure heart and fix him just like that. And and a minister who supposedly knows God better than everybody else because of that awful pride, that spiritual hard pride, that lack of teachableness. And they can be the most difficult person to deal with until they finally just say, God told me to leave. Well, maybe he did. Maybe I was praying that God would tell you to leave because I don't want them here. Now, over the time, we've weeded out. And now we have a group of precious, pure-hearted, wonderful ministers. Some of them still a little bit uh, watery here and there, but they're getting there. They're staying the course. And it t- but it took time. But there's many more. There's at least four to five times more that have come than the ones that we actually have that stayed. Why? Because Jesus said one quart of dirt. I want you to know something that a teachable heart is one of your greatest assets. Yes, right. When you have an attitude of not I know it but teach me it, even if you do know it. Dad Hagen was like that. The people that knew him tell me he was so teachable. When I'm around Pastor Nancy Jenny, her firm industry is bigger than mine. She's been, have more experience. So in every category, she is better. But even if she wasn't, even if I had done more or whatever, I've probably traveled more than her. I've probably done more, more international work than her over the years because I just haven't, it's never been on her heart. But now God's putting it on her heart. But no matter what the category, whether I feel I've had some more experience with her in one out of a hundred categories or not, because she vastly surpasses me in everything anyway. But even if she didn't, when I'm around her, and I'm not doing this to blow my own horn. I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell people, understand, my heart so that they maybe try to emulate their pastor. because you're not trying to emulate me, you're trying to emulate Jesus in me. When I'm around her, I honestly I want her to teach me. I want to learn. But I've also learned that around ministers, even though you so badly want to learn, you've got to read them. Because pastors in the pulpit preaching and teaching everybody. And then sometimes we get to the back and I'm at her table, and she just wants to talk about her renovation. And that's normal. People that knew Dad Hagen would say that he, he would not want to be around ministers that were always pulling on him. Because sometimes he wants to talk about football. Because he's a normal human being and he's not always in that flow. He's always in the spirit. He's always a spiritual man, but not always having the demand of having to teach. But yet there's many times that Dad Hagen in the back, they would tell me that they would pull on him, but it was the right time and that thing would start to flow and many times with pastor nancy i can tell she just wants to chill out so i don't start she won't want to sit with me so that's what people don't understand they think they're around a great person they always have to do this and then you won't be invited again you have to learn to read them and that includes me you got to learn to read people because sometimes they they just want to just they're just natural and that's not sinful that's just natural we're, we're not always on, no. but then I can tell because if you learn to listen, the Holy Ghost will tell you. Mm-hmm. I, I learned to tell, and now something in my heart. Well, and the Holy Ghost will say, ask her now. I say, Pastor, you know, had you? Oh, Pastor, you know. She says, Oh, Pastor, and then she say, and then just real gently, I don't slam the pump. No. Right. I just real gently give it another prime. Well, you know, Pastor, I was thinking about that. Well, you know, and I can see it start, that little trickle starts to come. And then I start getting aggressive. (laughs) Well, Pastor, well, and then before you know it, this flow comes. And I learn more in those flows than I even do when she's preaching from the pulpit. But not all the time it's appropriate for that. But the point is, whether it's the time to draw on that spiritual flow or just talk about her stove. Mm -hmm. Right? You, oh, I always try to have an attitude of, I don't know everything. I'm never going to know everything. God put her in my life. Let me learn. Let me learn. Notice that Jesus said, you want this yoke, this flow? Learn of me. Have a learning attitude. Have a teachable heart. Number two, learn of me for I am meek. Oh, Jennifer. So I did a study on the word meek, not just in the Greek, but also in uh, just in word studies and dictionary studies and all that kind of stuff. And I found something very interesting about the word meek. Did you know, which I didn't even know, meekness is how you treat others. Humility is an attitude about yourself. Meekness is out. Humility is in. Now lowly, that word lowly in the Greek means humble. So he's talking about meek and humble. I am meek and lowly in heart. And it's a heart condition. In heart do you see that? This is a matter of the heart. You want the good life? Right. This is it, this my this brother and it. sister. Yes, we got to teach about buying the devil because you need that too. Yes, we got to teach about be, have a good work ethic. You need that too. Yes, we got to talk about forgiveness. You need that too, but you need this yes. as well. This, a lot of people overlook this and they wonder why they don't live the good life. Yeah, It yes. all comes back to your heart. What did Solomon say? Guard your heart with all oh. diligence yes. above all, because out of it flows everything in your life. Everything. Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable about the soil of the heart, you can't understand nothing. It's the most important parable. So the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, said your heart's number one. And Jesus, our Savior, said this parable of the heart is number one. And that people still just seem to overlook when it talks about the heart. Now, Jesus is saying this is a heart issue. Now, there are three areas, Taylor, about the heart. You have to be teachable, you have to be meek, and you have to be humble. You think they're all the same, but they're not. Teachableness is teachableness. Meekness does not mean mean teachableness. I thought it did, but it doesn't. It's got nothing to do with teachableness. Teachableness is teachableness. That's its own category. Meekness is meekness. That's its own category. And meekness is how you treat the person that is teaching you. It's outward. Humility is nothing to do with meekness, although it's similar, but it's not the same. Humility is the attitude that you have about yourself inward. Are you with me? Now, there are three definitions of meekness. One, the definition is gentleness. There's three aspects to meekness. There is gentleness, there is patience, and there is submission. When you, listen, I'm trying to help you. When you sit in services for me to preach, or even more importantly, when you sit in the counseling room for me to talk to you, if you come in with, I know it, (laughs) I might as well just end the meeting or just go quiet because you're not going to get it anyway. Because you're not, you're not there to learn. Yeah. You're there to talk. You're there to dictate. You're there to tell me what you've already decided. Well, why? You need to come into, when you come into church, come in with a, I'm, here, I'm here to be teachable. Yeah. I'm here to learn. That's, that's a hard issue. It gets you into the, the easy life, the good life, the light and easy flow, the promise and the rest. It'll get you into the good things of God if you have a teachable attitude. Number two, you need to have a meek attitude. And what does that mean? To the person who's teaching you, to the person in authority, you are gentle. When people are not gentle, not just to each other, but to the one teaching you, when the one over you, there's a gentleness that is required to that person. When people come and I see there's a gentleness in them, there's a softness in them, my heart opens to them. It means to be meek equals gentle. It equals to to be patient. I I like that because to be meek means that you are, you're not just and you're out. Pastor, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna keep coming to church. I'm gonna keep coming for another meeting with you. I'm gonna keep sitting there. I'm just gonna be patient. I'm not gonna quit. Because I I, I may not not understand everything and I may not be doing everything right, but you know what? It's gonna work for me. Because I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna hold the course. I'm gonna hold fast. You see, when there's a meek attitude in somebody, there is a gentleness, there is a great patience. They're not quitters, they're not in a rush. Well, this don't work. There's a patience and a gentleness. And then the last part of meekness is the is the segue into lowliness, because the last definition of meekness is submission and humility or lowliness means to submit. But really, it's an attitude about yourself. It means to put yourself to debase yourself. It actually in the the real meaning of the word lowly or humility means you have a measure of power, but you do not exercise it in the room. You could say something, but you don't. You could do something, but you don't. You restrain yourself. You humble yourself. You demure. You put yourself down to listen to somebody else. You submit. So the end of meekness transitions into humility, because both mean submission. But humility does not mean gentleness, and humility does not mean patience. Humility is that attitude of submission and putting yourself down. Meekness is, yes, submission, but it's also gentle patience. Now, you mix those two with a teachable heart. My God. My God, Jenny. It's a, it's a game changer. Everybody's looking for the pom-poms and the rah-rah. This is not very pom pomy rah rah-rah-ing, but this is absolutely critical. The attitude in which you enter... I heard a, the, the, the Coast Guard say to somebody who was in training once, they said the only difference between you and the drowning victim is the attitude in which you enter the water. Oh, wow. They entered the water and they're drowning, they're panicking, but you enter the water with confidence because you have the skill to save them. Yeah. If you ever panic, you'll drown with them. You can't ever panic. No matter how big the waves are, no matter how big they are, no matter what's going on, the attitude that you enter the water determines whether you succeed or not. That's what the Coast Guard teaches. Now, the attitude you enter the church sanctuary is going to determine whether you succeed or not. The attitude you enter the counseling room, the attitude, whether you gave the big amount or not, whether you've got an ordination behind your name or not, whether you've got a Ph.D. or not, whether you've been a Christian for two months or 200 years or not, The attitude with which you enter the sanctuary and the counseling room is going to determine your success or failure. Do you know why? Because that heart attitude is what causes you to enter the rest. It causes you to enter the good life. It causes you to enter the light and easy flow of Jesus' yoke. Having an attitude, Jenny, of teach me, having an attitude of I want to be gentle, I want to be teachable. I want to be meek. I want to be patient. I'm not going to be in such a big rush all the time. Let me just cool my jets and slow down. I want to submit. I don't want to just take over. I I, I, I humble myself. I I, I, I put myself down to listen to somebody else that God put in my life. Now, if those spies had had that, it would have been totally different. Totally different. If the children of Israel had had that, would have been totally different. But you see, a lot of people, they want the good life, but they don't have the right heart attitude. I, I, I can't express it to you enough, and I don't mean to be mean about ministers, Jenny. I'm just saying, every pastor I know tells me their most dreaded day is when a new minister comes into their church, because it never, almost hardly ever works out. And out of all the ones that have come, we have, a, we have, we have finally a good group of true-hearted, meek, teachable, and humble ministers. But there was a lot more that came that had to leave to get the group that we have. And so usually when they come, because 75 or higher can't pass the test you know, what you're looking for is somebody that's going to be a blessing and a supply to the church, not somebody that's going to get arrogant and proud and, you know, is going to most likely leave. That's why I truly say I'd rather somebody come in that's that's a hardened sinner but has a heart to repent than somebody that's religious, that comes in with a religious spirit and with a pride and an arrogance saying, well, I'm a minister. God told me to be here, but I'm not really going to learn anything from you anyway. That's the, they don't say that, but that's the attitude. And you can tell, I can tell when I'm preaching those that are receiving it and those that aren't. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I won't obviously, anyway, give details, but there's been times, my wife and I, uh, that we've been preaching, and it's the ministers that are actually almost are on the verge of demonic manifestation because of that spirit of pride on them, versus the new person that's coming with long hair and tattoo. They've got more demons, but because their heart's right, God's working on them, and this person got all the right words... And the letters behind their name because they're so arrogant and that religious spirit and it fights against that anointing and they don't want it. Yeah. It's true. astonishing how that works because it's the opposite of what your mind would think. Yeah. The religious, the, the, the leaders, the Christian leaders, that's who you want. No, 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 no. Just give me people with soft hearts. Now, if they're a minister, I'll take them. And if they're a hardened sinner, I'll take them. And if they're anyone in between, I'll take them. But we're not we don't care whether they're a minister or not. What we're caring about is that their heart is teachable is meek, gentle, patient, submissive and that they are humble. That's what we're looking for because if you can have that those qualities, Jenny, no matter what mess you get into, no matter what failure you do, no matter what sin you do, no matter what happens, you come before Jesus. Jesus, help me. And Jesus says, "Okay." The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble yes, he and he exalts the humble. But the Bible says he knows the proud afar. There was somebody, I won't say who, they're still in our church today. There was one of my leaders, and Pastor Nancy would come, and that person had a bit of pride about them. And Pastor Nancy would say to me, uh, don't, don't sit me beside them at the dinner. Don't sit them anywhere near me on the front row. I, I, I don't want to be anywhere near them. And I said, but Pastor, they're, they're a nice person. I know, but that, that spirit of pride is so strong in them, it repulses me. And they almost left the church, but God dealt with them. They humbled their heart with meekness and teachableness, and they're a great blessing. And Pastor Nancy often asks about them and now enjoys their company and fellowship. But that that pride, listen, if a minister who doesn't even, who's not God, can pick up and is repulsed by that pride... Can you understand why God says, I know the proud, a far off. Well, in other words, I won't let them get near me. God can't let any pride get near him because he's so opposed to it. But the humble and the meek and the, and, and the teachable ones and the ones that, that, that just say, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, no, you, you come, you come. You, you pass it test. Come here, come here, come here. No, no, lift up your head. Come here. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to give grace to you. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to take you from your lowly place and I'm going to make you high. David, you, you're, you're small there with the sheep. Watch what I do for you, boy. Now, David, you went and killed somebody and slept with somebody. But what was his attitude in Psalm 51? Father, create in me a pure heart. Let not a right, don't take your spirit from me. Let a right spirit be found in me. I humble my heart. He didn't say, well, you know, and he made an excuse. He had a humble, meek, teachable, repentant heart. And what did God say? Now, there was price that he had to pay for that sin. There was a consequence that came. But God still, the Bible says, lifted him up. Then he wrote that psalm. He said, he has taken me out of the miry clay because that, that sin was a miry clay. He set my feet on a rock and God honored him and blessed him. And there's even a verse that said, after a certain time, David sinned no more. As an Old Testament man without the Holy Ghost and dwelling. The Bible said that he never sinned again toward the end of his life. He lived right before God. He made a lot of mistakes, but it wasn't the mistakes. It was the heart. God is looking at my heart. The greatest asset I have is not my hair, even though Victoria keeps telling me, Pastor, the greatest asset is your hair. The greatest asset is not my beautiful face, even though my wife says, Honey, your greatest asset is your face. My greatest asset is not my trim physique, even though Reverend Taylor says, Pastor, that is your greatest asset. and your fattest asset as well. No, no, no. I've lost 50 and I'm keeping it off. Praise God. And I'll lose another. Praise God. I'm halfway to my goal. My greatest asset is not those things. It's not my ability to preach, Jenny. It's not my ability to administrate. It's not my ability to hobnob. It's not my ability to do business. It's not my ability to lead. Some people make leadership their, their leadership is not the greatest asset. It's great to have it, but that's not what God's looking for. He didn't say leadership gets you in. The greatest asset that any human being has with God is a heart, a humble, gentle, meek, lowly, teachable attitude. With that attitude, you will soar. God will make sure he picks you up and he exalts you. Having the other attitude, you will always, always, always fail. You'll try and it won't work. You'll, you'll get frustrated. You'll try and it won't work. You'll try and it won't work. And then you'll say, well, why does it never work out for me? Because it's God's looking for your heart. Praise God. I'll end with this, and I'll pick it up next week to say that I did half of it. I'll do the other half next week. But even in the thousand-year reign of Christ, where Satan is bound, there's not one demon on the earth. There's not one evil spirit, Taylor. Nothing. It's called a utopian society. That's what all these stupid movies—they're picking up that something good's about to happen, and so they try to make these utopian societies. But have you ever noticed? There's always a godlessness about those movies. There's a nihilism, there's a dystopia, there's this attitude of, of, of it's euphoric and utopian, but there's no God. See, that's demonic. Yes. Because the only time there's ever going to be a utopian society is when Jesus sits on the throne in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem in person for a thousand years. It's the seventh feast of Israel, and it lasts for a thousand years. He will tabernacle with man. That's awesome. And yet with no demons, and we're going to be, we're going to be cool, Taylor. We're, the Bible says we're going to judge angels. We're going to, we're, going to, we're going to have it together, Jenny. I'm going to have my mansion and I'll go for walks with you. And probably kiss a little bit too. I think we're allowed to in heaven, but Jesus hasn't given me permission, but I'm sure he will. We're going we're gonna to have our mansion. And then, then there'll be assignments. And he'll say, Craig and Jenny, or he'll say, Jenny Craig, no, not the weight loss clinic. Jenny Craig, where are you? Jenny Craig, come, you need to go down. And we'll go down. He will have, we'll have work to do on the earth. And we'll be redeemed ones with special bodies that these ones don't have. They only have physical bodies. And we'll come from heaven to earth, just like the angels, and we'll appear. We'll walk through walls. We'll have, just like Jesus had a glorified body, we'll have a hamburger, and we'll go walk through right the wall. And I don't know how that's going to work, but he ate fish, and he walked through the wall. We're going to have the same resurrected body that Jesus had, and we're going to have assignments here. And there's going to be a thousand years of life on this earth without demons. People are going to have marriage and give birth. They're going to rebuild cities from all the destruction of the seven-year tribulation. And the Bible says that if somebody dies at 100 years old, they will be considered a child, says it in Jeremiah. So that means people are going to live old, just like in the, you know, where they lived in Methuselah, 900 and something. Everyone's going to be like, they're going to just, but they're not going to look old. God's going to do something to protect. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do something. Because 100 years old that now is ancient, back then the Bible says they're going to be a child. And they're going to live and they're going to, we're going to have assignments and we're going to be preaching to them. We're going to be ministering to them because there's still people that have been born and they have to believe in Jesus. Do you understand? And Jesus is going to be sitting there. There's going to be satellites. It's not like we're going to be in wood huts. I mean, everything's going to be Tim Hortons. There's going to be Tim Hortons, I'm telling you, and McDonald's. I hope maybe no actually there wouldn't be McDonald's because we can't kill animals because there's no death You're not killing animals. The lion lines down with the little lamb. He's not trying to eat it for supper I don't know what's gonna happen, but there is gonna be life here in some normalcy And we're gonna have assignments to minister to them But I want you to notice something Jenny in a perfect society without sin And Jesus on the satellite in Jerusalem will preach every single week forget about me Jesus is going to preach to the whole world. People are going to gather. That is true live stream. (laughs) They're going to gather and watch him. And he's going to say to the whole world, I want you to come once a year with your tithe. At the Feast of Tabernacles, come and bring me your tithe in the fall. And the Bible says that some that watch, it doesn't say watch because... Those prophets didn't know. How. They just said, if you study it, we know that Jesus is on there and he's ministering, which means everybody has to see him. Now we know. They couldn't fathom how that's possible, but now we know because of technology. But the Bible says that people, that he asked Jenny to tithe, that some will yield and come to Jerusalem. I'm talking a thousand years. They'll come and they'll bring their tithe. Can you imagine what that was going to be like, Taylor? Maybe you'll be the one to count the tithe amen or Wayne Wayne (laughs) Wayne will be the counter he'll be over the accounting department of hundreds of billions of dollars a year and Jenny the people that come come but did you notice that without the devil Victoria without evil some people are gonna say no the Bible says that they refuse to bring their tithes to Jesus in person in Jerusalem and the Bible says that God over those people shuts up the heavens and it does not rain on their crops. And there is sickness that comes upon them because they're entering into a curse because they are in disobedience and they won't tithe. So you better deal with the tithe now because it's going to be lasting for a thousand years without. See, now look at the heart. No demon, no demon influence, Taylor. No demon influence. But some people have the heart and some people have a rebellious heart. Without the devil influencing them, you can have a... Now, today, we've got the devil influencing people. But can you imagine that people would say no to Jesus without a demonic influence? That just shows that their own heart and flesh can be that corrupted. That's why the Bible says that, that a, heart, a good heart, a, a faithful man is hard to find. That, the, the Bible says that bond, the abundance of the heart, you know, this good water and evil water can flow. You can have a corrupted heart even without the devil influencing you. And then, of course, we know what happens at the end then God lets that, that old snake out of his hole for a short time. I don't know how long that is. And who do you think he's going after? You think he's going after the people that are tithers? You think he's going after the people that have pure hearts? He's going to focus on the ones that said no. He's going to focus on the ones that broke the covenant of tithing. He's going to focus on the ones where God shut up the heavens over them. He might frighten everybody, but he's going to have an inroad into them because their heart is wrong, Jenny. Their heart is wrong. And the Bible says that when the devil is loose and he gets a hold of their minds, now we've got demonic influence, but their heart was already wrong to begin with, Taylor. Now, this is hard to fathom. They've seen Jesus in person for a thousand years. And the Bible says there are so many that converge upon Jerusalem to murder Jesus to murder him. Remember that Jesus called Satan a murderer from the beginning. He tried to murder Jesus when he kicked him out a long time ago. Then in the middle of the tribulation, he goes up to try to murder Jesus again. Then he is cast down and he possesses the antichrist. Now one last final attempt, he stirs up all these people that have wrong hearts yes. and he goes after Jesus to murder him. In... He's stubborn. The devil don't get it. You can't kill him. He goes after them to murder Jesus. And the Bible says the number of people that gather on Jerusalem to kill Jesus outnumber the sands of the sea. Think about how many people that is, Jenny. And you know what God does? He says, this is how merciful God is. He says, enough. You've just heard him for a thousand years without the devil influencing you. Craig and Jessica and Peter and Taylor and Jennifer and Sally, they heard him for just a few years and they didn't even see him. They just had the word they had to believe it by faith and they had demons all around them trying to talk them out of it And they still kept their heart you scallywags have had jesus in person preaching the word of life without the devil And you still reject him And now you're trying to kill him enough is enough and the bible says he rains down fire and brimstone from the heavens And he kills all all those people die And at that moment, when that happens, the great white throne judgment, every human being that's ever walked this earth that is not saved, stands before God, gets thrown into the lake of fire. He rolls time up, and it's over. He rolls the earth up, burns it, and makes a new one, and we move into something called eternity with our minds cannot fathom because it's beyond us. But the time, seasons, sun, moon, uh, the ecliptic of the earth, that all ends after all those people are burned, burned to a crisp but I want you, to say all that to say this, this is what people can do with wrong hearts. Forget about the devil. Sure. Just your wrong heart can keep you out of the promised land. It shows me that it's so important to guard my heart, to keep it soft, to never let it get hard, to never let it get calloused. And I'll be honest with you. Can I just say one more thing? When my wife and I get into a little tiff, which is exceedingly rare, but when we do, and occasionally we do because we're normal. And she'll kind of, my wife is not afraid of anyone, including me. And she don't hold back. she tells tell me, you listen to me. Sometimes she says, stand there. I said, I don't want to stand there. I said, stand there. I get, I'm not afraid of the devil, but I am afraid of her. And she'll say, stand there. And I'll stand there. And she'll, she'll tell me. And I'm telling you, I can feel sometimes this rise of pride. Do you know who I am? I have the mental I'm the husband. I know Pastor Nancy. (laughs) I'm going to sick David Hogan on you, woman, if you don't back up. I think all of them are afraid of her, too. Point is, Jenny, when we sometimes, and you tell me where I've been wrong, and I have been wrong, and I feel that that thing rise up, that's called flesh. That's called carnal thinking. That's called pride. How dare you? That's called anger. Can I tell you? You know what I do? I put my head down, and I swallow that thing. It's very hard to do, to swallow pride, but I've learned to do that. And I'll say, honey, you're right. Nothing in me wants to say that, but I'll say, honey, you're right. I was wrong. I humble myself before you, and I'm truly sorry. Please work with me be patient with me. And because she's so merciful, she says, yes, honey, but I I can't just let things go because, you know, because you want me to let things go. If you've, and she's the same way. If I talk to her, she does the same thing. She humbles herself. You see, what we do, Jenny, is we practice humility with each other. We practice it. We practice keeping our hearts soft because what happens, Taylor, is if I let that thing come up that wants to come up, and I've done it once or twice in our marriage and she almost murdered me in my sleep, but she didn't praise God But if I say Who do you think you are Who do you think? I've done it a couple of times slam the door. This is a long time ago But slam the door go out go to a hotel don't tell her where I'm going just to make her worried But she hates me at that point anyway, so she's not really that worried She's praying that I'll go to heaven early. So I don't think she's worried that she doesn't know where I'm what I've done it and then I come back you need to apologize and then we have another row (laughs) then she slams the door and goes doesn't tell me thank god those days are over but we had a couple of those, not many, maybe less than one handful, but we've had a couple of them in our 21 years or 20 years almost of marriage and 20, almost five years being, knowing we're supposed to, but we took four years before we had our, enough faith to get married with the money and all that stuff that we needed. So we've had some time even in the courting phase to develop a gentleness with each other. But I'm telling you that, that uh, when, I do, when, when I would do those things, you know how God would get on me, Jenny? Me too. You will destroy your marriage, son. Me too. You are going to destroy your marriage, because you can't humble yourself. Mm -hmm. Swallow it. Put your neck, your foot on the neck of that pride and break its windpipe. Humble yourself. Kneel down before her and repent. And it's the hardest thing for a person to do, but it's the most powerful. Because if I keep practicing, this will become a flow of my life. Our marriage would have ended. But if I practice, hmm. That's not weakness. No. That's power. That's power yeah. It's not weakness. People think it's weak. It's, it's not. Weak. You are controlling your anger, your pride, your flesh. You're crucifying it, and that's power. It is. That's true spiritual power. It's more, it's more. even more powerful than casting out demons yeah. because the devil's is not your problem half the time. You that's are. True. Amen. Your attitude is your problem. Your hard-heartedness, your lack of teachableness is your problem. Your flesh is your problem, not the devil as much. We need to deal with him, but we need to deal with us a lot more than him. And he, most of the time, he can't even do anything if we just deal with ourselves. So I pra- have to practice. Mm. Now, you know, the first time was really hard. Second time got a little bit easier. Now, many times later, many times later that I've practiced it and all the little tips we've had, uh, not, not now I'm a master at it. Now, before she even says stand there, I'm already going... <laughs> <laughs> Before she was at, I said stand there. I said yes, ma'am I'm just I'm not beaten down. No, 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 no. I'm not a, a beaten-down husband. That's not it I, I I've got skillful in humility <laughs> Because I'm a bit I'm a bit of a wild card sometimes I'm a bit of a jumper <laughs> Sometimes I forget that it's a devil. I'm supposed to be mad at not anybody else and she'll teach me Thank God you teach me but I try to practice that humility because it would save my marriage it saved my life all these young people parents need to teach their children to respect authority. And if they would have just honored that authority and not provoked in, not in all cases, but in some cases, it would have avoided the tragedies. Because what we teach, we teach this generation to be, I have rights. (laughs) It's going to destroy their lives. It's going to destroy their marriage. It's going to, it's going to affect their ability to get jobs. It's going to affect their ability to keep jobs. It's going to affect their ability to raise their children. If you have that attitude with children, they'll respond to you that way. I'm telling you, this attitude of humility is absolutely critical. This meekness, teachableness, and humility is the heart matter that will help you get into the light and easy flow of God's rest, the promised land. He's made a place for you, but you must enter in this way. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Now, I've just focused on those keys, but there's a couple other keys that, and a couple other examples and a couple other scriptures I'm going to give you next Sunday. But please work on your heart. Keep your heart soft. It's one thing I must say about Taylor, as much as I bug him, that, you know, he's made some things, like when I was a youth pastor, when I was an associate pastor, I did a lot more mischief than he's ever done. I don't want to admit that, but it's true. I put my pastors through tough times. (laughs) Poor Pastor Coulter. I feel so sorry for him. I feel so sorry for Pastor Bud. (laughs) They had to put up with so much from me, but they were so, he's actually a lot better than I was. But I've noticed the few little things that he's done over the years, every single time I've talked with him, every single time. Taylor, i got to talk to you, brother. I, I, you, you can't do that. that. That's not appropriate. Not sinful, big, major things. Just little attitude things. Thing. Every single time, not one time, as he said, not one time as he put his chest out at me, every time he said, Pastor, you're right. And that is why God is going to use him and co- has used him and will continue to use him and will continue to exalt him. Why? Not because he's necessarily the, 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 the best person, the most skillful person, the most educated, but because he's got the right heart. It's all about the heart, Jenny. I wish people would come to the counseling with the right heart, they'd get more. I wish people would come to church services with the right heart to learn, they'd get more. I wish people would join our ministry ordaining fellowship with the right heart, they'd get more. Praise God. Father, I thank you that Jesus, you have promised us rest. You've promised us the light and easy flow. You've promised us the good life. But there are conditions that we must meet. And the first of those conditions, there's more next week, but the first and the most important is the matter of the heart, this teachable, meek, and humble heart. Father, we want to be that way. We want to honor you. We want to honor our spouse. We want to honor those in authority over us. We want to honor the police. We want to honor our pastors. We want to honor those that you've placed to help us and to guide us. Father, help us keep our hearts. Like, like like, the great Solomon said, help us keep and guard our heart with all diligence for out of it flows everything. Help us keep a humble heart, a gentle heart, a soft heart, a meek heart, a tender, gentle, patient heart, a submissive heart. A learning, teachable heart. It will make all the difference in our future. I thank you, Father. I feel like I've, uh, I've fulfilled the mandate that you've given me this morning. Lord, I, I, I maybe it was a bit bumpy here and there, but I thank you that they heard my heart. They heard the anointing come through the words and that they will go now and work on their hearts with their marriages. Some of you husbands listening to me, you need to repent to your wives. I say this by the word of knowledge. I see a husband sitting there right now. You've been listening to what I've said and you have mistreated your wife. You have been arrogant and brash to her and bossy and controlling and got this macho attitude that stinks in God's nostrils. That attitude of pride and that you're the big macho man and you try to boss her and control her. God despises that attitude. And he will never bring you close. He'll never, you'll never enjoy the intimacy of his presence the same way when you're treating your wife that way. If I were you, I would turn to her as soon as I finish praying and repent. And I would humble your heart like I've had to do with mine. And some of you wives, you need to do the same with your husbands, that you've, you've, you've picked them and you've hammered them and you've, you've just been on them, just on them and you're driving them, you're driving them up the wall. And you need to just say, honey, I humble myself yeah. and just forgive. Well, they don't you know they did this to me and don't you know she did this to me and he did that to me? Let it go and have a humble heart and God will rush in power into the middle of your marriage and fix it from the inside out. It all opens the do- the heart opens the door to all his power and all his healing and all the flow of the Spirit. So some of you, you need to repent to your children. Some children need to repent to their parents and guard your heart. Some of you need to, you don't have to say anything to me, some of you that have had a wrong attitude toward me, you need to repent to God of that and change that. Praise God. Let's all let's all take an inventory of our hearts today. Thank you, Jesus.